Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. I don't know if you've experienced this too, but for me, it seems like the world is getting more and more chaotic. Like day by day, there seems to be another major news story about some chaos happening near to us or far from us. And some days it's both. There just seems to be chaos everywhere. In fact, when I walked into the office earlier today, the day that I'm recording, I walked in and on my desk, there was a new um, newsletter that I had just received from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is an amazing institution. And their newsletter looks like this. Yep, that is the year in hate and extremism. And in this annual report, there are maps of the United States showing where all of the hate groups exist in America. And now, uh, be honest with you, Georgia has several, and I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to you. Um, it seems to be everywhere. There's hatred and anger and animosity and just chaos. It seems like everywhere we look. And it can be really overwhelming. In fact, sometimes that chaos seems to come right to our door. And I think that's one of the reasons why the great resignation is happening the way that it is. People are reassessing their lives to try to get a clear picture of what it is they actually want to do with their lives. Because so far, it either has come to a place where uh, they've noticed that they haven't been fruitful and they haven't been joyful in the work that they're doing, or that they need to be in a place where they're making more money because the way that inflation is coming up um, and every day things are getting more expensive and more difficult to get because of just a thousand different reasons that seem to have an impact on all of these small things. And so all of these small things start to impact us in really big ways, and it can be very easy to get very overwhelmed. And maybe that's just me that feels that way, but it feels like chaos is everywhere. And um, the more that I've talked with other folks in the church, and some of you I know I've talked with, it, it seems like there's really just no getting around it. A friend of mine who's in a small cohort of folks assessing and reminding one another about the history of racism within our United Methodist Church said that the one thing that he sees as a consistent reality across his old church, regardless of um, political identity or social identity or whatever the case may be, is that everybody's just pissed off. (laughs) Everybody's just pissed off. I saw another friend of mine um, shared very candidly that they feel like chaos is winning, that they're not sure that they trust order anymore, that there is any order to any of this. It just seems like chaos, more and more of it every single day. There's hatred and extremism and just simple inconvenience that seems to throw everything off. Which is why I think the perspective of Scripture and our faith is so, so important. Because as soon as we start to claim and acknowledge the perversion of reality that chaos is winning, as soon as we give chaos a foothold in our hearts and in our minds, 
the sooner we are to let ourselves go to nihilism or cynicism. And then rather than feeling like we can have an impact on the world, we make snide comments and jokes about how terrible it is, sort of throwing our hands up in the air with a collective shrug, willing to just watch the world burn. It's one of the reasons why I think apocalyptic television and movies and writing has become such a thing for us because there's something about just getting to that that is entertaining if not in some way almost comforting that there will be survivors in this apocalypse and you can play games about whether or not you could survive that worst case scenario rather than actually being present in our current reality it's easier to daydream about how we might experience a zombie apocalypse than it is to actually walk through our world now because it's too real and it feels like we have such little control over it and so that's why scripture is so important and i actually want to turn all the way back to the very beginning of our collection of books in the book of Genesis, the very first chapter. Do you remember what happens? In the beginning, scripture tells us there was nothing, a void, emptiness, chaos. And when God stepped into that chaos, the very first acts of creation was to bring order, separating light and darkness separating land and sea and then enabling life to flourish in the rhythms of light and darkness and in the rhythms of rainfall and then animals were given life to be able to both eat off of but also spread the good seed from all of these things and then humanity was finally created to care for to steward and to um, live joyfully in this abundant garden god essentially is the the gardener in the first moments of creation and maintains that character throughout pruning what needs to be pruned planting what needs to be planted and helping sustain and build life despite what resources may exist in our soil. I'm probably pushing that metaphor a little bit too far, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. So anyway, that's the beginning of the story. And what we see is that humanity is given a significant amount of power. The power to choose how to wield the, the, that power uh, is fundamental to what it means to be a human, to be a human being. That we have the power to build up and we have the power to tear down. We have the power to live abundantly and we have the power to create scarcity and God empowers us in that way to be able to choose for ourselves whether or not we're willing and able and um, willing to follow in the footsteps of God and become a good steward and a good gardener of the land and of our community or to choose a different path leading to our own destruction and so we see that choice being made generation to generation from uh, the, the descendants, the, the folks who, uh, the ancestors to Noah, and then to all of those who come after Noah through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these descendants down the line. And what we see is that some choose the hard road of faithfulness 
and some choose the easy road of, you know, um, taking advantage of other people. And we don't, we don't need to look at history to see that that's a reality of our politics and our society. There will, there, it seems to be the case that there will always be people who take advantage of other people. There will always be people who abuse others. There will always be people who abuse creation. There will always be people who do that intentionally or not. And sometimes we can get caught up in it in a way that feels chaotic and we don't have an escape hatch. Just this week, I was in a long conversation in a Bible study with some folks on Tuesday, which you're more than welcome to join. We're talking about the book of Revelation, which is a wild book, but you're certainly welcome to join. But we were talking about how how difficult it is to make consistently good, fruitful, joyful decisions. Because it seems, because of our global society, every decision we make touches a spider web that has impacts around the world in ways that we don't even know. And that in and of itself creates a sense of chaos. Like we cannot, we cannot have the kind of positive impact that we want to have in the world. And that is exactly the lie that keeps us from living lives of faith. And here's what I mean. 2,000 years ago, God became human. God uh, lived a life just like yours and mine, except that God lived it in a way that was wholly devoted to the abundance of community. He, in just looking at the Gospel of John, he healed people who had been pushed to the outskirts of their society and brought them back into community. He provided food for people miraculously when they didn't think that they would be able to eat just on the edge of the seashore so that he could continue to teach them about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, right? Jesus, he heals he feeds, he cleanses the, the temple, the religious institutions of the corruption that keeps them from being aligned with God and offers a new path forward for all of the people of faith to be able to dwell in a kingdom different from the one we're used to dwelling in. And this is where faith becomes so important. Jesus brings into a weary, chaotic world a vision of hope, a kind of hope that many of us might scoff at for being almost childish, but Jesus envisions a world and builds a world where all people have enough, and there's no reason to live with animosity towards one another at all because there is always enough. There is an abundance for all people to be able to thrive. And simply by stating that truth, he becomes such a threat to political and religious institutions of his time that they put him to death for it. Why was Jesus crucified? because he healed the wrong people, he fed the wrong people, he taught the wrong way, and he cleansed the structures of power rather than trying to cleanse the people who were being abused by it. He broadens the scope of who's allowed at the table of God to include each and every one of us. Now that 
I realize now it's like the gospel that we talk about every year and every week on Sundays, but for the time, that was wild. It was ludicrous. No one had access to the presence of God except for the high priests and Jesus offering a space for everybody to gather around the table and worship God and be present with God is a wild claim, but that's exactly what Jesus does. He offers a vision of a hope that doesn't require any other particular person or any other particular power or any other particular structure, but simply requires the embodiment of community living in abundance with a hope for a better world. And that's what Jesus was crucified for. And so in another moment of absolute chaos, the disciples are gathered in their upper room, weeping together, mourning together, and Mary Magdalene goes out to visit Jesus's grave, and when she gets there, she sees that the body is gone. She immediately goes to tell the other disciples who follow her back to that tomb to see that, in fact, he is gone, and all the claws are still there, and all of the evidence of his body are gone except for those claws. So they, the two disciples, see that, and you can almost see them throw up their hands. Someone's obviously stolen the body, and they go back home. They've given up on that hope that Jesus proclaimed. Mary stays mourning, the same way any of us would, not knowing what to believe and what to think and what could have possibly happened to her teacher, for whom she had loved for so long. And then she walks back into the tomb and sees these angels. She turns around and what does she see? She sees the gardener. Not the gardener for the gravesite, but the gardener for all of humanity. Bringing a fresh perspective of hope, of love, of grace to a world that so desperately needs it. She cries out, Rabbanai, and what I imagine is she wraps him up in a tight enough hug that he is forced to say, do not cling to me. I've not yet gone to the Father. So for you, I don't know what the last year has looked like. I don't know what the last week has looked like for you. I really don't. But if you feel overwhelmed by chaos, where it seems like all good things have been covered up and you're left spinning in circles, not knowing what the right step forward is in your life. May this Easter bring you a fresh perspective to be able to see the sun coming up on the horizon and a clear path made for you where mountains are brought low and valleys lifted up so that you can walk diligently down the path that God has laid for you. That path is not without hardship. It's kind of a difficult walk. Again, Jesus was crucified in doing it. But when we gather as a community of faith in what we call the church, we know we're not alone and we can bear one another's burdens as we walk back into that first garden, trusting that it still exists, if we could just put our hand to the plow and work together for it. Abundance is real, y'all. 
the worst things are not the last things. We have an eternal hope that God is continuing to call us forward and celebrate the life within us so that all of the world might know how good it is to be alive. May we all go forward from this moment on, trusting in the grace of God to carry us into the next chapter of our lives. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.